to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's a joy to be in worship with you. Today wraps up our sermon series, Summer of Love. And so please join us next week for our kickoff Sunday. It's going to be a great time. Like I mentioned earlier, we have food trucks, we have games for the entire family. So plan on staying around for just a little while. But next week also means we're going to launch a new sermon series. We're calling Roots to Roots or Roots to Routes. We're part of a confessional tradition, which means over the last 2,000 years, churches at times go through times of controversy, times of crisis, and they've written creeds and confessions to declare what they believe. What is at the heart or the center, the foundation of the faith? And we're going to look at nine creeds and confessions that have been written over the years. And so next week we'll look at the Apostles' Creed, which is probably the most famous. But we'll look at some others that uh, are not as famous, and, but are really helpful, I think, to show us how our faith is sturdy. It's been historically sturdy, and it stood the test of times. And we're going to look at how that can be important and fuel our own lives. But today, we're going to look at our last passage from Matthew, Matthew 19. And we're going to see a surprise about who Jesus says we should see as a role model for faith. Now let us open our hearts, our eyes, and our ears for the word of the Lord. Then little children were being brought to him in order that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples spoke sternly to those who brought them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And he laid his hands on them and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, I ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher. That you might teach us what the mystery of growing up and maturing means we become like children. Lord, that it might fuel our faith our relationship with you, and our relationship with one another. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So people used to ask me, uh, do you like kids? I'd be like, uh, not really. <laughs> kids haven't read Karl Barth or Thomas Aquinas. Kids can't dunk a basketball they can't change a tire or help you win at Jeopardy. What are kids good for? What do kids have to offer us? What can they really do? But the more I've been thinking about it, maybe those inadequacies, inadequacies those inabilities, maybe they're not flaws, maybe they're a feature. That was a long time ago, but now, now I like kids. Because kids say the wildest things. They see the world in a totally different way than adults do. And I think that's just fantastic. We were recently on vacation this summer, and you know I have a three-and-a-half-year-old son, Major. And we were at the beach, and 
you know, after a long day, all the adults had kind of congregated in the kitchen. We were talking about that afternoon's golf game, trying to decide what we're going to have for dinner. And out of nowhere, Major walks into the middle of kind of where we're gathered. And he did it like, he walked in in a very dramatic fashion. He gets that from his mother. And, and he walks in and he kind of puffs his chest out, lifts his head up, has a hand raised in the sky, gets everyone's attention, and then he says this, I am a toad. His mom says, excuse me? He doubles down. I am a toad. I literally have no idea why he said this, where he came up with it. If you have an idea, let me know when we should get him into therapy. <laughs> Kids say the wildest things. I don't know if you heard about that family who was uh, on vacation as a family of four. They went to vacation in South Florida. It was a few years ago. It was mother and father and their two boys. And they're known as naturalist people. They like outdoor activities to camp and, and fish. They're naturalists. And as they're driving up the east coast of Florida, they see a sign that says, Naturist Convention. Now they thought that meant Naturalist Convention because they're naturalists. But natur naturists aren't naturalists. Naturists are nudists. But they didn't know that. And so they drive into the resort area, park their car, and they follow the signs that say, Naturist Convention this way. They lead to the beach. And out of nowhere come these five people riding bicycles that are stark naked. Coming right toward them. And the mom and dad hold their breath. And then the oldest boy points at them and says, Look, mom and dad. They're not wearing helmets. <laughs> kids say the wildest things. Do I like kids? Yes. Yes, I like kids. But not everyone has always liked kids. In our text today, Jesus is sitting there teaching the crowds, and someone starts bringing kids to Jesus. They want to pray for them, bless them. And the disciples see what's happening and they run over and they're trying to shoo the kids away. I can just imagine them saying, this, this is a very important rabbi. Don't bother him. Give him some room. No kid, he's not going to sign an autograph. No, he will not turn water into wine for you. <laughs> That's what I would have asked. But we shouldn't judge these disciples too harshly because they actually reflect a broader cultural opinion about children. This is why Jesus' claim is so radical to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. The disciples, the other adults there in the audience would not have imagined this was something he was going to say. What are kids good for? How are they going to help us establish the kingdom of heaven? Now, to understand the disciples' expectations and maybe why they didn't value kids, you have to understand kind of the culture of the first century, their attitudes towards children. Children had low status in both Jewish and Roman society. Kids were too young to fully participate in religion. One reason, we think, is because life expectancy at that time was so short. 
30% of infants died at birth. Of that, 30% died by the time they were six. And 60% of that died by the time they were 16. And as a result, society was a little reluctant to invest too much value into these kids that might be gone so soon. But here Jesus is giving a place of importance, a place of value in the community. He says to these kids, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. You see, in the first few hundred years of the church, the church was one of the few safe places for children. Some scholars actually theorize that the explosive growth of the church in the early days could be attributed to the fact that the entire family was welcome in the church. You see, in Roman society, they actually had two religions, one for the guys and one for the gals. Mithraism were for the men. Bonadia was for the women. And they never overlapped. And there was nowhere for the kids. And yet Christianity, because of what Jesus says here, says the whole family, kids too, find importance and value in the church. And this is a, a radical statement because Jesus was, if anything, radical. And one of the reasons he was so radical is because he redefines and reoriented kind of who we consider to be family. He did this in shocking ways. Ways that are shocking in the first century but still shocking to us. Take, for instance, in Luke 8. There's a story where Jesus' own mom and his brothers come to see him. And Jesus kind of shoos them away. A lot of people, when they read this, they're like, I had no idea. That seems kind of rude. Listen to this. The passage reads, Then his mother and his brothers came to him. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. Now most of us think, oh, gentle Jesus. He's going to say, mom, bros, come on. Miss you guys. That's not what happens. Listen to what he says. But he said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus seems to be saying there's this radical equality, this radical egalitarianism in the kingdom of God and in the church. To be a part of God's true family means to hear, believe, and obey. Biology doesn't define who our family is. Faith does. And this is what unites us as equals in the spirit. One of the people who taught me about this reality is Professor Alan Torrance. Alan is a famous Scottish theologian. Comes from a, actually a famous family of theologians. His his uncle was Thomas F. Torrance, I know who you know, who translated Karl Barth's Towering Church Dogmatics into English. His cousin was Ian Torrance, was president of Princeton Seminary for a number of years. One of his other uncles actually served in Decatur as a biblical theologian at Columbia Theological Seminary. He's also a friend of mine, a Facebook friend of mine. <laughs> and I once heard him tell a story about when he was in high school, and his dad pulled him aside one day. And his dad said, son, uh, from now on, I want you to know that I am no longer your father. He was shocked. He said, what do you mean? And his dad said this, sure, I'll still be your father biologically, and you can still call me dad. But I want you to realize that we are equals in the sight of God. We both count God as our father. We are both children with God as our Father. And I've always loved that story because it means, 
And I think what Jesus points to is if we had a good or a bad relationship with our father, that's not our real father. Whether we had a good one or a bad one, it doesn't matter. God is our true father. And for this reason, in Matthew 23, Jesus says, Call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. In other words, we are all children of God. In Christ, we are all kids. And this means we have a new intimacy with God. We have a new relationship. A tight relationship with the God of the universe. And this was radical. There are two great passages in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul writes to churches about this new intimacy. Welcoming them to pray to God as Father. One happens in Galatians 4, and you can read that on your own, but I'm going to read from Romans 8. Listen to this. Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Notice this echoes Jesus' words in Matthew. Those who hear the Word of God and do it are children of God. He goes on, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, Abba, Daddy, Papa, it's the first words a baby can utter. It is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified in him. We stand with Jesus. We're not far off from God, but in the Holy Spirit we stand next to Christ as children of God and can pray our Father. This is a revolution to call God Father. But so many of us don't care about intimacy with God. What do we care about? We want to be powerful. We want to be great. We don't want to be children. We want to be adults. In the chapter before our text today in Matthew 18, it tells a, another story where Jesus says children are positive examples of who we should aspire to be like. It reads, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Notice this concern about who is great, who is powerful, who has value, who's important. He called a child whom he put among them and said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is kind of like a Benjamin Button view of spirituality. Remember that Brad Pitt movie, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button? As he gets older and older, he looks younger and younger. I want you to know that the woman who plays Brad Pitt's piano teacher in the movie is a longtime member at Roswell Presbyterian Church. That's true. And I asked her one time, I said, what was it like working with David Fincher? Because David Fincher has, has kind of a, got a notorious reputation in Hollywood. She told me, she said, he is such a sweet guy. Oh, I just loved him. He was such a dear. I said, really? She said, oh, yes. Which made me conclude that David Fincher is a huge fan of all members of Roswell Presbyterian Church. <laughs> just like Jesus says, become like children, like Benjamin Button. As you get older, aspire to become a child. We're not called to strive for power, but to become humble. We're not looking for honor, we're looking for Humility. We're not looking to get, we're looking to give. It can take a lifetime to learn to be like a child. Oftentimes we have to work at unlearning what we have learned. And yet Jesus says, become like 
a child. See, seeing ourselves as children of God in the community of faith can transform how we relate to one another. This was true in Jesus' time. It's true in our own. My wife wrote her senior thesis on a pastor from Wee Street Baptist Church in Atlanta. And in it, she tells a story about Reverend William H. Borders. You see, the church's board of deacons hired Borders to come and preach for two Sundays, kind of as a trial period. This new young pastor, Dr. Borders, was actually also a professor at Morehouse down the street. Unfortunately, the congregation was not impressed with his kind of stiff intellectual style. But during his second sermon, Borders showed how his theological vision would lead to a, a transformative social mission. He told the story of a young black boy, denied education, political and economic opportunity, and was forced to beg for food at a nearby white-owned mansion. Borders said that when the owner of the house came to the door, he told the black boy to go around back until the food was ready. When the food had been prepared, he brought it out. And the homeowner instructed this young boy to bless the food. says, repeat after me, our father. The boy said, your father? The man looks and says, no, our father. And the boy again says, your father? The homeowner got quite irritated. Boy says, why do you keep saying your father when clearly I say our father? And the boy replied, well, boss, if I say our father, that would make you and me brothers. And I'm afraid the Lord wouldn't like it, you making your brother come to the back door for a piece of bread. Love kids. <laughs> Needless to say, Borders got the job and served at Wheat Street for many years. In fact, when Young Martin Luther King Jr. was a young boy. He would sneak out of Ebenezer Baptist where his dad was the pastor and he would sneak down the street to Wheat Street. He'd hide in the balcony to hear Reverend Borders preach. And I often wonder if that's where King's theological convictions developed and fueled his social vision. Jesus says we are all children of God which makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. Do I like kids? Yes, I do. They have a lot to teach us. And I'm trying to become one. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, help us mature. Help us grow up and to be children. That we trust in our Heavenly Father. Lord, that we might be united in faith as the family of God to do the work you have called us to, to love one another and love the world you so desperately love. In your name we pray. Amen. been listening to the RPC Sermons podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.